Greetings and welcome once again to Word Magazine. This is Jeff Riddle. I'm the pastor of Christ Reformed Baptist Church in Louisa, Virginia. And in this episode, we're going to continue the ongoing review of an anti-Calvinistic sermon uh, preached by Yankee Arnold. The title of that sermon was The Five Dangers of Calvinism. Just a couple of follow-ups. Um, there has, looks like, uh, been some interesting um discussion that's happened in the comments for the first video in this series that I put up. I tried to respond to a few things, but it's nice to see there's been some good, vigorous discussion on these matters. Um, also, uh, the main reason I'm doing the video is in response to a request from someone who's an attendee of my church, and I was very thankful right after I posted the video to get a very encouraging text from uh, that brother uh, uh, expressing his thanks for the review and uh, saying that he had learned some things from it and would be able to share that. So I was uh, very helpful, very thankful rather to get that uh, response that he had found the video helpful. Um, I did hear from at least one person in the comments that the sound quality was not great uh, for the, the the YouTube sermon we're playing and reviewing from Yankee Arnold. I'm sorry about that. I've had mixed experiences using Zoom. Sometimes it comes through clearly when you have a video like this. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't know if that's because of it. The internet connectivity, I'm at home and my internet's not great here. Maybe that's the issue. Uh, it might be that I was playing it at slightly faster um, playback speed at 1.25. And so I went ahead and took it back just to the normal speed because I don't want, um, you know, I, I don't want any accusation of of not being fair with his presentation. I want it, I want people to hear it clearly. So I think we saw in the in the initial um, look at the first ten minutes of this fifty minute presentation some of what I saw as the problems with it: a lack of exegesis, a lack of scriptural reasoning, also a straw man fa fallacy. Uh, saying that Calvinism teaches something that it actually doesn't. Oddly enough, uh, saying that Calvinism teaches that in order to persevere in the faith, one has to continue to do good works. And that's not what Calvinism teaches. That's not what the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is. The doctrine of the perseverance of the, of the saints is simply that those who are saved by grace through faith will, by God's strength, persevere in the faith. They will have remaining corruptions until they reach the stage of glory, the final stage of the, of the human experience. They may also uh, grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, they may backslide, but if they are uh, genuinely converted, they will be sustained in the faith, not because of their works, but because of the grace of God. And so uh, Calvinism or the doctrines of grace is all about the sovereignty and the grace of God. He's the one who saves us. And if we are kept in the faith, it's not because of our works, it's because of him. And I thought it was also interesting, as I pointed out, that there is a major problem with the theology that Yankee Arnold is putting forward, and that is he denies progressive sanctification. He denies the doctrine of sanctification. And uh, he puts forward in its place something that is sometimes called once saved, always saved. And that's simply an unbiblical doctrine. Those whom the Lord saves, 
He also progressively sanctifies. And we know the experiences of life indeed are different. The thief on the cross uh, was converted uh, just a short time before he died. And so there wasn't a period of time in which he might experience great growth in godliness. But for most of us, if we are saved and God gives us a measure of time, uh, that means there's time for the fruit of the spirit uh, to begin to develop for us to heed um, the commands of Christ, as Christ himself said, uh, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And we have places like in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where we're exhorted to spur one another on towards love and good works and good deeds. And we're also not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so we're simply saying that Christians, those who are Christians, ought to take heed to the exhortations to godliness. These are not the things that saves one, as we often say, uh, that good works are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. It's a very odd thing to accuse Calvinists of saying that we need works to be saved. Um, we certainly deny that. We would uphold exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 2, Eight and nine, that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works, uh, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. Um, and, and so we don't believe in, in human works. But we also believe in Ephesians 2.10, that those whom God has saved, that he has also foreordained uh, the works that they would do. They are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not the good works that saved them but the good works that flow out of them. Um, so anyways, let's pick things back up. And I said, I, I wasn't sure how far I'd gotten into listening to it. I think we're right at the point where this is all virgin territory ahead of us now. And so all of my comments and responses are just going to be extempore in the moment. Um, I, I Once again, I've got my Bible in front of me. I've got a notepad where I'm writing down a few notes I also uh, picked up, and I had recommended this in the description, uh, if you hadn't seen this, and if you're somebody who's struggling with what is Calvinism, what are the doctrines of grace, uh, this is a little book that I wrote a couple years ago. Uh, it's titled The Doctrines of Grace, An Introduction to the Five Points of Calvinism. It, it's available on Amazon. Um, it came out in, in 2019. And um, I go through each one of the five points of Calvinism. I talk about the biblical basis for it, um, talk about the theology behind these five um, sub-doctrines of the larger doctrine of grace under the acronym TULIP, uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. And uh, so there is put forward here in this book, Perseverance of the Saints, as actual Calvinists hold to it, not as uh, I think it was unfortunately misrepresented uh, in this presentation. So uh, let's go ahead and see if we can pull this uh, presentation up so that you can see it. And again, I've adjusted the speed so that it is at the normal speed. And I certainly hope that this recording will capture better uh, the words of Pastor Arnold. So we'll just see how far we get. I'm kind of recording this uh, between some commitments that I have. I have to leave 
and a little while to go teach a class, a college class I'm teaching this semester. So I've only got maybe about uh, 40 or 45 minutes at the most that I can uh, give to this, but we'll see how far we can get. Uh, here we go, let's see. Give you my position on the theological positions of Calvinism. This oh, by the way, I went back a little bit from where we stopped last time because uh, I wanted him, he's going to do the introduction because he's going to say now he's going to look at the so called five points of Calvinism at Tulip. And uh, I don't know where he's going to go with this. Again, I've not seen this. You're seeing it for the first time. If you haven't heard the message, just like I am, I have not seen this part of it. I'm assuming that the five dangers of Calvinism are related to the five points of Calvinism. Um, but I may be wrong. And so let's see what he does with the five dangers and as he's going to review Tulip. Intellectual position is not of God, but of man. The following symbol acrostic Tulip is the classic Reformed five-point Calvinist viewpoint. <clears throat> now, the Tulip stands for the T, total depravity of man, U for unconditional election, L for limited atonement, I for irresistible grace, and P for perseverance of the saints. Now, you may not hear the preacher get up and quote these, but listen to what they're saying. And you'd be surprised how many preachers are telling people they must turn from their sins to be saved. Now, just think about what... Again, he, he, he seems to be stressing... That Calvinists, the, the key to Calvinism is that you must turn from your sins to be saved. And so, yes, there is in Calvinism a doctrine of repentance alongside of faith, but nowhere is there in Calvinism any insistence that you are saved by anything you do. You're not saved by your turning. Uh, you're not saved because of faith. You're, you're saved by the means of faith. Um, you're justified by faith, as Paul puts it, uh, but this is not your works. You're not saved by your works. And so there's this basic uh, confusion, I think, that's that's here in the presentation. Guilty of everything in the book. And the preacher tells me i got to turn from my sins to be saved. All right. Which sins do I have to turn from? Just the real bad ones or all of them? Actually, I don't see where there's a lot of con confusion. Again, no one who is a legitimate Calvinist is saying that you are saved by your works, nor are they saying that you continue or persevere in the faith because of your ongoing obedience. In, in fact, we say quite the opposite. There are remaining corruptions within us. Uh, there may be times when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But by God's grace, we'll, we will be kept in the faith. And, you know, he acts as though Christ never commanded our obedience. In John 14, verse 15, Christ said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And likewise, in John 15, verse 14, Christ said, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. 
It's not our obedience that makes us Christians, but if we are disciples of Christ, we will desire to obey Christ. And that is not a vice of biblical teaching about salvation. That is a virtue of the biblical teaching of salvation. If you ask Yankee Arnold today, where are you going when you die? I'm going to heaven. I couldn't go to hell if I tried. I haven't tried. I have eternal life. Christ died and paid for all of my sins. How many? The reason I don't have to go to hell today or tomorrow is because I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all my sins. Put that payment to my account. I'm going to heaven on what he did for me. He gets all the credit. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's not you turning from sin. It's not you dedicating your life to how you want to live. It's by grace, grace means free. Now, what part of free can't people understand? Absolutely. We agree with that salvation is by grace. It's completely an act, a work of God. We believe in monergism. We believe that salvation is a work of God alone. But what he's confusing are the doctrines of salvation and sanctification. That's the basic problem with Pastor Arnold's presentation thus far. Okay, now he's going to get into the T of TULIP, which is actually very key. I, I think it's the key to understanding the biblical doctrine of salvation. And he's going to say that, that man is not so impacted by sin that he cannot of himself uh, believe in Christ, make a decision for Christ. So he actually has a view that downplays the impact of sin on the human condition. And so let's listen as he goes further in this. Totally severed from the source of life, without natural ability to find a way back to God, or without power to correct the problem. So I believe I am and totally depraved, but not that I can't reason and think and act and make decisions, choices. We can do all of those things. And God holds us accountable because of it. Well, the, the, the teaching of total depravity is not that man is as wicked as he might be. The, the doctrine of total depravity or radical depravity is that sin has touched and impacted every aspect of the human condition. So it's affected my reason. It's affected uh, my uh, physicality, the wages of sin is death. Um, it, it has affected my emotions. It's affected everything about who I am as a human being. I, the image of God is still present in man, although it's been deformed. It's been tarnished because of sin. So we're not saying that human beings uh, have have lost all capacities of reasoning or all capacities uh, of, um, uh, I don't know, proper emotional expressions, but that all of these have been damaged by sin. And we believe the Bible teaches that we are spiritually unable to come to Christ unless God first does a work of conversion. 
unless God first regenerates us, unless he takes our hearts of stone and makes them to become hearts of flesh. Put the little box there in the mold for those who teach that God has chosen from the foundation of the world a select few to be saved. Predestination means your destiny fixed beforehand. And go to heaven while the majority of people remain lost, condemned to hell, without the possibility of ever being saved because they were not chosen is to be in total denial of what God said and what Christ did. Again, these are inaccurate presentations of what the biblical doctrine of salvation is articulated in Calvinism. Uh, Spurgeon again said that Calvinism is simply a nickname for the gospel. I mean, for one thing, um, predestination, predestinating, the verb, relates to God's work. It's not about your destiny is fixed. It's that God uh, foreordains a means and the persons, the objects of salvation and the means for that salvation through uh, the ministry of Christ and his death upon the cross. And also that the spirit uh, has a, a purpose to apply the redemption purchased by Christ. So salvation is an act of the triune God. The Father uh, seeks worshipers, and the Father sends forth the Son to die upon the cross for sinners, and the Spirit applies the uh, redemption that has been accomplished by Christ. And it's not that God sort of, there are all these people who are spiritually able out there, and God uh, leaves over some who are spiritually able to choose only some others who are spiritually able. No, it's that no one is able. No one is able. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul teaches. And again, I, I think a, a major problem here is, is a, a poor understanding of the biblical doctrine of sin. Uh, Paul taught, and this is uh, one of uh, the, the best uh, known uh, passages about man's condition and sin in Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and following. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And so this myth of people out there who want to believe in God and they're refused because of God's perversity uh, or his random acts or arbitrary acts. There are no random or arbitrary acts of God, and there are no perverse acts in God. He doesn't have to save anyone. Just as in the days of Noah, uh, he saw fit to have most persons perish in the flesh, but he sovereignly chose to save some he chose actually very few, just eight persons, Noah and his wife, Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives. They were the only ones of all humanity that were saved in the flesh, just eight at the time of the flood. Is he telling us that God was unfair when he did that, that God was unwise or unkind or arbitrary? No. God is good. He didn't have to save anyone. He could have wiped the slate clean at the flood. Instead, he chose to preserve some. And similarly, we can draw a parallel when we think about salvation. He doesn't have to save any, but he chooses to save some. And this is to magnify 
his great glory and salvation. It's also to magnify his justice in the just condemnation of those who have rejected him. And so uh, that's a proper understanding of what the Bible teaches about salvation and about the character of God. That is not what the Bible teaches. But there are some people who have become so intellectual they didn't get it from the Bible. They, they are so spiritually that God chose them out of everybody else to save it. There must be something special that Bob made that he saved me and didn't choose to save you. Uh, well, this is another charge often laid against Calvinism that it, that it's based on elitism or pride. And I think if I could speak on, on behalf of at least some of us who understand that we've been saved by grace, that, that um, he loved us before we loved him, that it doesn't uh, build up one's pride. Instead, it lays one's pride in the dust when one considers that there was nothing special about us. Uh, we, we can we can go back to uh, Paul's statement in Romans uh, chapter five, uh, where he says, um, Romans chapter five and verse eight, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The person who is a Bible believing Calvinist does not believe that salvation was because of anything special in him. It's while we were sinners. Paul can say, I'm the, I was the chief of sinners. And so this is a distortion of what we believe about salvation. And I believe that God so loved the world, everybody, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believe it, not the whosoever God chose. But who are the people who believe? Uh, the ones who have been foreknown by God, predestinated for salvation, called justified. If you look at the uh, golden chain of redemption in Romans 8, 29 and 30, uh, the only persons who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are those whose hearts have been changed and regenerated by an act, a work of God upon their hearts. We believe in John 3, 16. John 3, 16 is no reputation for biblical soteriology. We do believe that God loved the whole world he believe, he, we believe that he loved Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slave and free. This doesn't mean that he saves the whole world, because that would be universalism. That would, that would be the belief that everyone is saved, regardless of their response to Christ. And we believe that is refuted. Uh, one of the classic refutations of this appears in at the end of the third chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, wherein it says in John chapter 3 and verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's just after John 3.16. So when it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, it's not saying that everyone in the world will be saved. Uh, only those who believe, only those whose hearts are changed. Who are those 
whose hearts are changed. Though they are the ones that Christ, that God through Christ draws unto himself. Think about what uh, Christ himself said in John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. It's impossible for sinful man to come unto Christ unless the Father draws him. So there's got to be the drawing of the Father. And so, yes, uh, God, in his wisdom, sent forth his only begotten Son, so that whosoever, whoever, whoever, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, whoever has their hearts opened by God's grace may call upon him and they will be saved. And not only will they be saved, but they will be kept in the faith despite their remaining corruptions, despite their tendencies at times to grieve the Holy Spirit, even to backslide, they will be saved and they will be kept in the faith. And so we believe that is uh, what the Bible teaches about salvation. I see my camera has fallen over. Hopefully we'll correct that. And let's go a little bit further. Look there in the next paragraph. The Lord has not authorized. By the way, he's reading from his notes. And I find this a little bit distracting because there's not a lot of scripture that's being quoted. As I noted last time, there's not a lot of scripture that's being exegeted, explained. So he just throws out John 3.16. He assumes his interpretation is authoritative without without any explanation, without responding uh, to any alternative viewpoints of it. And now he's mainly reading from these statements from his notes that, again, I've found thus far to be generally um, to be distortions of what of what those who hold the so-called Calvinism would actually say. It'd be nice if he had some quotations from persons who are either classic Calvinists like John Calvin uh, or the Apostle Paul, <laughs> um, and, and or if some contemporary uh, advocate of Calvinism. If he would read from them rather than reading his assessments, which are often incorrect, of uh, what this teaching is. Right. Any man to alter his clear stated word that he commanded the entire world to hear, to limit the payment that Christ made for sin, is to select few makes the claim that God did not so love the world, or that Christ did not die for all men. In other words, what they're saying is that God doesn't love everybody, just the ones he chose to save. And that Christ didn't die for everybody. He just died for the ones he chose to save. So why should he waste his time paying for the sins of people that he's not going to save anyway? The Bible says salvation is to be preached to every person in the world. All right, let me pause here. He's kind of he started off talking a little bit about total depravity. Now he seems like he's switched over, and he seems to be now talking about the doctrine of redemption. And again, I I have a feeling maybe it's going to go this way. It's going to be kind of disordered. We're going to be here and there in the opening part of the message. He started off reading a passage from Ephesians one four, then all of a sudden he started talking about perseverance of the saints. And here maybe it's going to be something a bit different. And so there are lots of problems. Uh, he's saying 
that uh, we must believe that, so, uh, quote, Christ died for all. Um, does that mean, again, that he suggests universalism? Because if Christ's work on the cross was effective and efficient for all people, then they're all saved. And there's no need for anyone to confess faith. You're just saved by virtue of what Christ did on the cross. Or if he's saying Christ died on the cross, but then there are people for whom Christ died who aren't actually converted by what Christ did on the cross. He's making basically the sacrifice of Christ be for not, be for nothing, uh, for, for, for nihil, um, if it has no impact on the lives of those for whom Christ died. And I'm not sure if he's going to get to this or not, but we can we can look at the biblical teaching of particular redemption or limited atonement, as it is sometimes called. I, I noted in my in my little book at the beginning of the discussion that every evangelical Christian holds to some form of limited atonement because we don't believe that everyone is saved. If we're not universalist, we believe that there there were persons who did not have the redemption purchased by Christ applied to their lives. And so everyone believes in some practical form of, of a particular redemption. But um, anyways, I, again, I'm not sure where he's going. And uh, we'll see if, if he's going to stay on the, the T or move over to the L or go back to the U and Tulip. Let's see what he does. Because when Christ died, he died for the sins of the world. So That's right, for the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slave and free, but not for every person without exception. Otherwise, we would believe in universalism. And John 3.36 doesn't teach that. Those who believe receive life, but those who do not believe, the wrath of God abides on them. You see, I don't believe the teaching of Calvinism. I strongly oppose it. Okay, that's your, you've made this declaration, but should everybody in the congregation believe this on based on your authority? Uh, reason with us from the scriptures, Pastor, and, and show us, prove to us that this belief you have, it, that, that we are incorrect, is valid. I despise the teaching. I believe it heresy to teach what they teach. Anyway, you'll look there in the next Okay, now we're, we're jumping over to the I, uh, irresistible grace. Again, I, I, I thought he was going to go through the five points systematically, but I'm really not sure what he's doing here, but let's continue to listen. Again, he's reading his own statements. He's not quoting anyone who actually believes in Calvinism. He's not stating any of the confessions of faith, like the Second London Confession of Faith, by the way, which has a chapter on the doctrine of free will. We believe in the free will of man. We just believe that the free will of man has been distorted 
by sin, that the free will of man has been wounded by sin. Martin Luther, uh, one of the great fathers of the Protestant Reformation, one of his best known books was called The Bondage of the Will. And that's what salvation is about. God has to intervene by his grace to break our bondage. And apart from his intervention, we will continue to resist because there is no man who is righteous. No, not one. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who does good. And so um, we believe in the free will of man. We just believe that that free will is in bondage to sin and that we will exercise our free will, so-called, every single time to reject Christ unless God in his mercy changes our heart and renews our wills. And we believe this is uh, precisely what the Bible teaches. There you are. You're all lost. I'm God. I like my part. You're lost. I'm God. So you're all lost. You're going to hell. So if I choose to save, you know, say 25 of you, that's still grace, isn't it? Wouldn't that be better than not saving anybody. Well, if God can say 25, why didn't he just do it for everybody? Well, if that's the case, then again, pastor, you then you must believe in universalism because God is unjust unless he saves every single person who's lost. That, that would be the logical deduction you would make from your analogy. God can only be just if he saves, he has the power to, if he saves every single person who's lost. But again, that's universalism, and it goes against the teaching of the Bible in John 3.36. Did he create everybody? Well, why don't we just go ahead and do it? Save everybody. Because that's not how God does it. But that's what some people teach. And I don't think, I don't agree with that. Look at the Bible. To teach that a believer <clears throat> in Christ called the saints will persevere in the faith until death. Maybe I got confused. Maybe he did have a, uh, one of these statements was about unconditional election. Anyway, we're on the P now, perseverance of the saints. And I apologize if I have not correctly followed the notes. Um, uh, but uh, it doesn't appear that the five dangers are going to be, he's going to uh, sketch those out for us quite yet. He's already talked quite a bit about uh, perseverance of the saints and I think misunderstood it in the opening part of the sermon, but let's listen to what he says in this segment. Or until the Lord comes, causes one to focus upon the works of man and not the word of God. No man who observes his own personal life as a basis for his salvation can ever be certain of salvation. But if you... we don't look at the we don't look at our personal lives as the basis of salvation. We look to the work of Christ, the gracious work of Christ. He looks closely to his ways, his thoughts, and his motives must conclude that he has every reason to doubt his own salvation or ceases to be honest. If you had to live this righteous life to go to heaven, to prove that you're really saved and turn from your sins and make Christ the Lord the master of your life, if you did, you'd have to doubt your own salvation. And uh, yes, if we if we thought we were saved because of our uh, faithfulness and our good works, absolutely. We would have no, absolutely no grounds for salvation, but that's not what we believe. That's not what we teach. I mean, give me some scripture. I mean, if you ask me, give me a passage on the perseverance of the saints. 
what I would turn the Bible and show you would be John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, where uh, John records the words of our Lord. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That's our key passage for perseverance. There's nothing in there about what we have to do. Our job is to be passive, to be held in the hand of the Father. And no man can take us out of the hand of the Father. There's nothing in here about uh, you, your, your, your perseverance in the faith depending upon your works. This is an outright distortion of what we believe. just let a few other people just follow you around for a while and listen to everything you say and do and where you go, everything about you. And I bet you come to the conclusion uh, you're not as holy as you think you are. Listen. So how holy would you have to be? Well, I'm pretty good. I mean, how pretty good would you have to be? Our salvation doesn't depend on our holiness, but on the holiness of God. You know, the Bible says you have to be perfect. You'd have to turn from all sin. One sin would be enough to cause you to question or doubt your salvation. I mean, if there's anything God wants you to do and you didn't do it, well, you did a lot of it, but you didn't do one thing. How do you know that one thing wasn't the one that kept you from being saved? Would you know you were really the one that God chose? God chose me and I'm one of the elect. Yeah, how do you know? How do you know? Well, because I believe it. Yeah, but what is the evidence? What are you trusting in? How you live? What if you live good for 40 years? And then prove it one day before you die. That one day proved you never were saved. Because you didn't persevere to the end, my friend. And our assurance, again, does not depend on our actions. I don't know how many times I have to say this. Again, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Paul says in verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We believe nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're depending not on our works. We can't justify ourselves. It is, as Paul says in verse 33 of Romans 8, it is God that justifieth. So there can be no 
charges laid against the elect, the chosen of God. That's the basis for our assurance, not our faithfulness. On the other hand, unfortunately, Pastor Arnold wants to deny the teaching of sanctification, that those who are saved will also, by God's grace, grow in holiness, grow in their love for the Lord, and they will obey the commands of Christ because they love him. And he's so, um, I don't know, um, he's so entrenched in the idea that there's no teaching of sanctification that he wants to, to say that we're pressing on him holiness of life as a requirement for salvation. We're not saying that at all. The problem actually here is with his denial, his denial of sanctification. That's the real problem. I don't believe that. And that's what causes so many people to question their own salvation. They have doubts. When you Again, I bet, I'm guessing that many of the people he runs to in his circles doubt their salvation because they were taught this easy believism gospel and they're not really converted. Uh, that's the that's the chief problem, I think, with most of the people he makes reference to throughout this sermon. And most of those people have those doubts because of this uh, cheap grace that's taught uh, from these pulpits like this. You give a person 10 reasons on how to know you're saved. You gave them a re 10 reasons on how to doubt their salvation also. So this is why you have to be careful on all this stuff. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody has sin. Look there now at the top of page two, as Paul Harvey would say, page two. At the top of the page, what right does any man have to cause any person in this world to believe that God doesn't love him? Because see, if God has handpicked a few people, you can't really tell everybody that God loves you. Because you don't know if he does or not. I know that. I believe the Bible and I read the Bible and I believe God so loves the whole world, everybody in the world. Wouldn't it be a shame? To does this mean you believe in universalism then? Certainly you would say that there is some discrimination in God's love. That he loves those who are his own. They are the objects of his love. They are the objects of his affection. If you're saying God loves all persons equally, then the loving thing to do would be, be for him to save all persons. And so he's painted himself here into a corner of having to accept universalism. Um, if, if God is loving and loves everyone, let's apply this to a father in a marriage. Does the concept of Christian love mean that he must love all women exactly the same way he loves his wife? Or let's apply it to parenting. Does parental love mean that a parent must love equally all children as much as he does his own children within his own household? No, certainly we would say there is discrimination in love. Real love is discriminating. Uh, it makes discriminations. And the, the, certainly this is true of divine love. God loves himself, first of all. Uh, we are not the proper objects of God's love, except to the degree that our lives are hidden in Christ. 
God the Father loves the Son, and he loves those whose lives are hid in Christ. We are not worthy of love. Uh, we are not worthy of God's love as sinners. The prophet Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 1.13 that, uh, that, 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 that God is too righteous to even look upon sin. And so for us to be the objects of God's love, our lives must be hidden in Christ. Well, that's another misunderstanding. When we say that the Bible teaches the doctrine of election, when the Bible teaches predestination, because it's there in Ephesians 1, it's there in Romans 8, we're not saying these are things we know. And, and let me just go back. He briefly said something uh, earlier to, to imply that we don't promiscuously preach the gospel. We're talking about things revealed in Scripture about God and we believe them because they're there in Scripture. But we're not saying we know who the elect are. Our task is simply to promiscuously, freely, openly preach the gospel. We can preach the gospel to everyone. And we don't know who will respond to the gospel. Sometimes it will be the least likely suspects from our perspective. That's God's work. It's God's work of saving people. It's our work to present the gospel uh, to every man as we are able in the free preaching of it. But we also have confidence in our preaching that there will be some upon whom God will work by his spirit and he will change the hearts of some and he will draw some unto himself. And so this gives us confidence in preaching the gospel. But it's a wonderful thing to be able to believe anybody can be saved. Absolutely. We believe that, that, that God is free to save whom he will, and we don't know who those people are. Uh, we, when we see uh, conversion happen, when we hear their confessions of faith, uh, if it's a genuine confession of faith, then we have affirmation, but we don't know who will respond to the gospel. Uh, there are no people who aren't who who aren't converted uh, who want to go to heaven. See Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12 and following. Uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who does good. There aren't all these um, hypothetical people out there who really want to go to heaven and God um, um, mercilessly close, slams the door on them. No. Uh, their wills are in bondage to sin. They're not going to choose God unless God first changes their hearts. I believe that any man who hears the gospel and will believe it can be saved. Absolutely. I agree with that too. Any man who hears the gospel and will believe it. But the part I would put in there is any man who hears the gospel and whose heart God changes. Look at the description in the book of Acts, in Acts 16, verse 14, when Paul is uh, preaching, and there's a woman named Lydia there, Lydia of Thyatira, the seller of purple. And look at the way Luke describes it in Luke 16, 14. He says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to heed the things that were spoken by the apostle Paul. 
She would not have given heed to Paul's preaching unless the Lord had first opened uh, her heart. And we believe that's the proper way to think about how salvation comes about. There has to be regeneration. That's another interesting thing. It doesn't seem to be that there's any place in uh, Pastor Arnold's theology, we haven't heard any yet anyways, for conversion, for regeneration, for the circumcision of the heart. And this is God's work. We believe that regeneration, conversion, must necessarily precede faith. And so um, I, there doesn't seem to be any place in his theology thus far that I've heard for the doctrine of conversion, of what the old um, um, theologians called effectual calling or efficient calling. Look at the next statement. The following verses are often used to prove the case for the teaching of Calvinism. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Okay, now perhaps, uh, perhaps we're going to get to um, some exegesis. So this part of the sermon, he's going to go through some passages um, that are put forward as uh, promoting Calvinism. And presumably he's going to explain to us now uh, how we have misinterpreted these passages. And so I was asking for this earlier, and maybe we're actually going to get it. He's going to start with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Verses we read just a moment ago. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When he says, for by grace are you saved, I believe that's the point. That's the point. For by grace are you saved. But how? Through faith. And you'll read that all the way through the gospel of John. Just believe. Just believe. And you notice it's through faith, not because of faith. And so it's for by, by grace are you saved through, by the means of faith, not because of your faith, but by the means of faith. And so that's that's a very important point. There's never any place in the New Testament where it says anyone is saved because of faith. But when there's a mention of salvation or justification, it is by means of faith. So in the little box there, what is by grace? Salvation. What is through faith? Salvation. What's not of works? Salvation. What is not of yourself? Salvation. What is the gift of God? Salvation. This is the gift of God. Now look at the next verse. Okay, wait a second. You, you've not refuted anything that we believe about salvation. In fact, we believe it, I think, to a more radical degree than you're willing to grant. We believe that salvation truly is all of God. We can say with Jonah, as Jonah did in the belly of the great fish, salvation is of the Lord. And it's by grace, through faith, not by works uh, that anyone is saved. Not by the work of my free will. Not by the work of my believing. It's a gift that comes to me. God is the active agent. I am the passive recipient. And so I, I, we haven't had any reasoning from the scriptures that would dissuade me uh, from that affirmation in what we've just heard. They will use Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, to try to prove that faith is the gift of God. 
The word of God states over and over that faith can... I think it's all three things. I think it's salvation, grace, and faith are all gifts of God. Nowhere does it ever state that works produce faith. I know that by my works that I have faith. See, that's the perseverance of faith. Nope. Perseverance of the saints does not teach that you're saved by your own works. And we need to correct this every single time he misstates it. You have to see the works. So the works become the evidence that I really got saved. Notice once again that he's never, thus far, he's never treated Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But those who are saved, God has foreordained, he has predestinated, that there would be good works that would flow from us, that we would walk in them. These are not the things that save us, but they flow from a converted man or a regenerate man. See, you're saved by faith. And as he says in Hebrews, faith is the substance of things, hope or the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. If I'm saved by faith, there doesn't have to be the evidence that people can see. The proof that I got mm, That's not what that passage is talking about. It's talking about the fact that God is unseen. His works are unseen by men. It's not talking about evidences of salvation being unseen, because that would contradict Ephesians 2.10, right? And the, and the scriptures are consistent, logically consistent in and of themselves. So this is not a proper interpretation of what was said in Hebrews. Because the evidence that you can't see, there are no works to prove that I'm saved. Because I can say, well, if you're saved, you'll go to church. Well, a lost man can do that. Well, if you're really saved, you'll read the Bible. Well, a lost man can read the Bible. Um, again, these good works are, are, are not uh, are not the things that save us. And yes, we believe there can be people who are false professors, but we're not talking here about false professors. We're talking about genuine Christians. And genuine Christians are given commands in the scriptures that they are to obey. Again, Pastor Arnold has not mentioned uh, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And we could just think about uh, some other passages that would come up, uh, like, for example, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, the apostle uh, Paul um, uh, wrote in Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does it sound like Paul was saying, don't worry about how you live your life. Um, don't, don't worry about being fruitful. No, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What about what the apostle Peter said in Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, 2 Peter 1, 10, wherein uh, Peter wrote, whether the rather brethren give diligence 
to make your call and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. There's, there's salvation it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But there's also sanctification. There's the desire in the regenerate man to do with that which is pleasing in God's sight, to obey the commandments of Christ. And uh, there seems to be an almost complete denial of the work of sanctification. Um, and instead, trying to confuse that uh, with salvation. And uh, anyways, I'm looking at the time. It's We're going to have to stop where we are. I'm sorry. We're only at the 21 minute, uh, 54 second mark. But um, I'm going to have to bring this to a conclusion. I got to get on the road to get in the classroom to teach um, a course. And so I hope that this, uh, the continuation of this survey has been helpful uh, for those who are listening. And uh, we'll keep going. Uh, we'll piece it together here and there when we can. We got about 30 more minutes to go. But I hope we'll eventually make it through the entire uh, presentation. Again, I hope this has been helpful for those who have been listening. I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Till then, take care and may the Lord richly bless you.